You got in there! Police use of force right in the face. I was choking and I was vomiting and a woman approached me and asked me if I need aid. Growing demands to hold police accountable. Law enforcement action that continues to rear its ugly head. On the streets, chaos and curfews. What do we want? When do we want it? Now! Crowds keep the peace, but keep the pressure on. Let's first understand how pervasive the problem is. I can't breathe! I can't breathe! Decades of racism now front and center. Now what? And I've heard from several chiefs, their hands are tied. And so much for social distancing. Protesters shoulder to shoulder as COVID-19 cases surge. I think people, um, we, we've gotten a little bit lackadaisical about this horrific virus. Our focus today on This Week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney. I'm Glenna Milberg. On this ninth straight day of protest, we'll spend this hour focused on our community dealing with eliminating racial injustice. The protests and the fallout this week brought on by George Floyd's death could well change the course of history. Ahead, you are going to hear from protesters and police on South Florida's front lines, what went right, what went wrong, and where do we go from here? And we begin today with Parker Branton, who is live in Fort Lauderdale. Parker. Glenna, another round of protests in South Florida this weekend, stretching from Miami-Dade to Broward, showing up by the hundreds, sending a peaceful and passionate message. Another day of protest. In Miami, hundreds moved to the streets after gathering at the Torch of Friendship. Police blocking entrances and exits to the highways, at one point closing the Julia Tuttle Causeway in both directions. The crowd moving into the design district through Winwood and back downtown. Protests also happening across Broward, this one in Fort Lauderdale. Those three organizations came here with a message. Their message was heard. It was not overshadowed. It was not overtaken by folks with the intent of diluting that message. The police chief applauding the peaceful protest. The diverse group of about 200 starting out on the steps of the federal courthouse. We want our voices heard and they are being heard. We just need the government to do something about it. For several miles, walking, sending a message of urgency to the powerful to weed out racial injustice and police brutality. It's time for us to come together and realize that there's so much power in having unity with one another. So the Fort Lauderdale police chief is sending a thank you letter of sorts to the protesters yesterday saying that people should take note of the protest in Fort Lauderdale and use it as a type of role model going forward as a peaceful uh, way to protest. Again, this comes as another round of protests stretching across South Florida are expected today. Glenna and Michael, back to you. Parker, thanks. All week long, protesters and organizers have worked to focus public attention on systemic racism and how to end it and how to end police brutality against black people. The protests all week were passionate and peaceful. Relatively few incidents of police aggression or protester violence. And those that were documented via cell video and social media do raise important questions. Among those, the apparent rubber bullet to the head of Latoya Ratliff as a protest in Fort Lauderdale was coming to a close. Ms. Ratliff, as you see, is with us via Skype from Palm Beach County. Ms. Ratliff, good morning and thank you for being here. And first and foremost, how are you healing? 
Good morning, and, and thank you for having me. Um, I'm, I'm getting better each day, but again, um, this is going to be a long-term recovery process. Yeah, uh, Ms. Brentliff, uh, it may be painful to go through this again. You've only relived it, I'm sure, in your mind all week long, but last Sunday night, you were at a parking garage at a protest in Fort Lauderdale. Describe to us what happened to you. Well, the, the protest was closing out and everyone was leaving. I was I actually just had just gotten separated from my friend. And in, in order to get to my car, I had to walk in the direction of where the, park, the parking garage is located. And during that time, I noticed that several individuals in the crowd were becoming more and more agitated, that the crowd had shifted from kind of the peaceful environment that had been for the last three hours. And um, there was one individual that was walking around and trying to calm everyone down. And for me, you know, I saw this solo guy who's, who's trying to help control a protest, you know, and there's probably over 150 individuals that were in the area that I was. So I joined in to help him, you know, and eventually after a few other people joined in, we were able to get the crowd to calm down again. And at that time, you know, he suggested that let's just stand here, let's kneel here and um, let the police know that, you know, we're not here for violence, we're not here to agitate you, we're just here for, in order for our voices to be heard. And after, you know, we were kneeling, um, there were still bullets being randomly shot out to the, into the crowd. And of course, everyone became agitated again, and that's when the tear gas started. And within, you know, moments, the tear gas became overwhelming. And for me, you know, I was disoriented. I wanted to move away from the crowd in order to try to catch my breath because I was coughing and I was vomiting. And a woman um, came over to help me. And as she was coming around and we were face to face, she was trying to help me off the curb. It may have been a second and I was shot and hit the ground. This police officer who fired this uh, rubber baton bullet at you was only, uh, we are told, like 30 feet away. That's really very close for this projectile, which can be uh, lethal, can be very dangerous. Yes, and um, you know, I'm, I'm really not comfortable with calling it a foam baton. You know, I, I, I like using the term, and, and I think it's appropriate to use the term rubber bullet, simply because when I think of foam baton, I think of the Nerf guns that I play with with my nephew. You know, and there's no way that a Nerf gun, a bullet from a Nerf gun is gonna cause a fracture and 20 stitches is what, you know, that's what happened to me. I think I saw it described as having the density of a, of a racquetball. But Ms. Radliff, we have seen, are seeing and have seen others video of what happened. We actually saw the moment it happened in somebody's video that we were trying to get permission to air and we have not yet. But it seems to uh, correspond and corroborate your version of events. The police department can't really talk about it because their hands are tied for legal reasons. So we don't really have a fuller picture of all sides of the story, but the police department, Fort Lauderdale Police Department, did come out and say this was an unintentional or seems to have been unintentional. They're, they're looking to do an investigation into it for possible consequences to the officer and they've been trying to reach out to you. Have you answered those calls? Have you spoken and, and reported your story to the police department? Um, I believe it was Wednesday evening. I received a call from the internal affairs department and unfortunately I was still in so much pain at that time that, you know, I just really wanted to focus on my health and recovery. But 
I'm hoping that, you know, in the next few weeks, hopefully within the next week in the near future, we will be able to sit down and discuss what happened. And you have hired attorneys, and have the attorneys reached out? I believe a, a message was sent out on Friday to let them know that they would be representing me. Right. Well, Ben Cuny and uh, Michael Davis have, in fact, notified the city of Fort Lauderdale. So you are going to sue the city for your medical expenses and pain and suffering? Is that your plan? Well, initially and foremost, my, my, my goal is to focus on what happened to me and focus on that it shouldn't happen anymore. You know, my situation isn't unique. As we've seen across the country during the protest that several other individuals have been hurt during a, a protest. There is a reporter that is permanently blinded because she was shot in the eye with a rubber bullet. What I want to do is to use this opportunity to sit down with the Fort Lauderdale police, to sit down with the city of Fort Lauderdale, and see what we can come together and, and put a plan together to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And hopefully that city of Fort Lauderdale can set the standard in regards to reform across the country. You have, you sort of now are a, an example of just the kind of thing that the protests are against. With your firsthand experience now, are, are you ready to say that police brutality is the norm? Do you feel that? Or do you feel like there is a certain element within police departments and, and perhaps in the scheme of structural and systemic racism that is allowed to fester? Is there, is there an either or there for you? I think it's a it's a tough a question to answer because I do believe that there are officers in the departments that are good that have the intention of protecting and serving, but I also believe that there is a larger systemic issue. I believe there is a leadership problem, um, as we've seen this past week with what happened to George Floyd. Those officers were on camera. They knew that people were watching them. They knew that there was a possibility that this could go viral and people would actually see what they were doing, but they didn't stop. So there is an issue where cops that aren't taking their job responsibly, that aren't there to actually help protect and serve, that they feel that they're, um, they're immune from accountability. And that's the larger problem is that maybe there's a leadership breakdown but for whatever reason, the systems that are in place aren't really there to protect people that look like me. And also, they aren't there to protect us. Yeah. Uh, Ms. Rentliff, very briefly, if you would, we don't know the name of the police officer who fired the rubber bullet at you. He may be watching. If you were going to speak to him, what would you say? I would say that, again, I don't think this is the act of a solo officer. I think it's important to understand what were the guidelines that they were given prior to coming to the protest. I think we need to understand what type of, what, what's the leadership? What were they told and why, you know, after people had calmed down, why after the, the, the crowd, you know, we were kneeling. We weren't, um, there, there wasn't any possibility that anyone could, you know, affect or do anything to the officers. Why would this still happen? So for me, I, I don't want to focus just on one officer. I want to focus on the entire department and understanding why did this happen and what, you know, what were they told before they came and arrived at the event. Your questions are the questions of many. Latoya Ratliff, thank you so much for spending time thank with you. us today. No problem. Thank you for having me.
And up next, the president of the Miami-Dade chapter of the NAACP who made a list of action items needed for change. We are going to talk to Ruben Roberts. That is next. While protesters filled the streets of South Florida this week, black community leaders were holding virtual town halls and other meetings looking to seize this moment and push for change. Change comes from action, and there are calls for some very specific actions and policy changes to eliminate racial bias in policing. One being the return of the Civilian Oversight Board to Miami-Dade to review questionable police actions. Ruben Roberts right there, the president of the Miami-Dade branch of the NAACP with us. Great to have you aboard, and thank you for your time this morning. Thank you, Glenna and Michael. Glenna. Ruben, it's, it's great to see you again. So that does seem, Glenna laid it out there. The question of the day is, will Miami-Dade County once again have a meaningful, substantive, well-funded, independent civilian review board to overlook police for alleged uh, misdeeds? Well, that relies heavily on the mayor. You know, we came close and the mayor vetoed uh, after we had the votes. And so we are reaching out. The mayor has definitely mentioned that he is interested in it. It's sorry that uh, an unfortunate incident like what happened to George Floyd had to happen in order for us to get this nod, if you will. Uh, but we definitely need to have independence. We definitely need to have subpoena power in order for it to be effective. Police departments can't police itself effectively, and we definitely need to have the civilian oversight uh, uh, board to really uh, address some of the issues and give uh, more trust in the community in terms of what's going on with their local police departments. And that's that's a, a big issue as well. Mr. Roberts, I was listening to you speak at uh, this week, the Miami-Dade County Black Affairs Advisory Board, and you actually had a couple of other ideas. Um, and I wonder if you would go through that so that everyone listening can hear really what you think it would take to really move the needle. And, and sort of as a co-question to that, why hasn't this happened yet? You've been doing this work. You've been with us for years. Um, kind of combine those two things. What needs to happen and why hasn't it? Well, I think you have to have the momentum. If you look back to the civil rights movement, the, the civil rights movement was going on for a while. Not until the cameras shunned the light on what happened at the Edmund Pettus Bridge and not uh, and happening at the lunch counters. And so the world saw. The world is watching us now and they're watching how we're going to respond. Each individual state, city, county, what have you. So, yes, we need to make sure that there's more accountability uh, with uh, police department on any job. Uh, there, there are levels of accountability. If you don't perform your task as well, you will be terminated. So officers that use that have uh, a history of excessive force uh, and are terminated from um, one department, you know, they should not be allowed to be hired at a new department, especially within the county. And that's something that we're re recommending. Yeah. We would like to see more. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, Ruben, I was just going to say, after you, uh, we are going to be speaking with Stedman Stahl. He, as you know, is the president of the Police Benevolent Association in Miami-Dade. I know Mr. Stahl is going to say, hey, we've got plenty of oversight already. Uh, we don't need another layer to come in and question us. We can police ourselves. Why, if you believe the, the police cannot police themselves, uh, why not? So let me give you one example. The FOP uh, uh, person in Broward County uh, 
did not see anything wrong with the, what that uh, sheriff officer did in pushing a lady that sat down, uh, that was sitting down in a protest. I've never heard of an FOP or a PBA officer or official ever identify or speak against a rogue cop. They don't speak against any police officers. So when you see that, you know that they can't be held accountable. Their union's own sole purpose is to protect them, not the community. Those police officers are, uh, are sworn to protect and serve, but there's nobody here to have accountability for the community. And that's what the oversight board is for. I wonder if and you so, would weigh in on the, the city of Miami has a civilian investigative panel, just such an see. oversight board. And there have been uh, real criticisms over it that the the board makes recommendations. They work very hard. They investigate. They've got evidence. They do interviews. They make recommendations. And, and relatively few, if any times, have those recommendations been taken to action level. So, so I wonder if you would weigh in from your perspective. This board, as it stands, and a potential one revived in the county, how do you make a a a board with teeth so definitely so the subpoena power and the ability to make those recommendations and to keep a file because the other thing that's going on while we're speaking we have legislators that are uh are uh, our local legislators uh on a federal level that are uh are writing drafting bills now to put in mechanisms where there will be uh, a way of tracking these officers with their their record you need police oversight for that uh, you need the you need those type of uh, committees that will document and hold those records, so that if we need to go to DOJ and say, listen, we need a consent decree uh, signed for this, they need to have new uh, they have to, they have to have some procedures and practices in place. So what it does is it's a store of record. It's a place for community members that feel that they their voice wasn't heard after they, they've uh, gone to the internal investigation process and nothing happened. That's just another level, uh, another layer. But then what we can do ultimately as new laws are going to be enacted is make sure that we use those police oversight boards to make sure that we can uh, have a, 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 uh, a history of what's going on with these officers and demand uh, action in terms of uh, termination if needed or reassignment if needed. But we need to have the civilian oversight board because if not, police departments will definitely protect themselves and yeah. the officers that are there. Ruben, uh, this is the ninth straight day. There will be demonstrations, protests this afternoon. One, in fact, you know, uh, remembering the death of Arthur McDuffie back in 1980, beaten to death by six Miami-Dade police officers who were later acquitted. Uh, I was here, I reported on that. Uh, we seem to have come a long way since then, but we may be at a tipping point uh, for the good. For, you know, I think 71% of the people I saw in a poll in this country oppose systemic racism and believe that black people are generally not treated as well by police as white people. Are we at that tipping point? I hope so. I think that just the sea of support that we have, the interracial, intergenerational sea of support that we have, as you see people peacefully uh, protesting, uh, is definitely a promising sign. And it's happening worldwide. Folks all over the world know the plight of black people. And they know the history of black people since uh, 401 years, if you will, 
uh, in this country. Uh, so one of the things that we're hoping is that just not just about the social injustice when it comes down to police relations, but when it comes down to employment opportunities, when it comes down to economic opportunities, that we are included, that we are uh, that we're given a fair share. We're not asking for a handout, just asking for an opportunity and access. And if you give us that access, let us do the work. So the bottom line is this. I think this is a tipping point for uh, a change to happen. But it has to happen on multiple fronts in order for us to really make an, an uh, substantive change. Reuben Roberts, the president of Miami-Dade chapter of the NAACP. We value your time and your perspective. Thanks so much. Thank you, Reuben. Thank you. And Thank you. coming up, Miami-Dade's police union president is going to be with us. The view from the force is next. The hard look taken this week at police policies and tactics raised new questions about this big question, who polices the police? It also brought renewed calls, as you've been hearing, for outside civilian oversight, a process Miami-Dade ended a decade ago. Stedman Stahl is head of the South Florida Police Benevolent Association. That's the union that represents the majority of the county's law enforcement officers. Great to have you, Stedman. Thanks for being with us. When when I saw when we spoke this week, you held up a list of 23 plus or minus, uh, and there there's the list. Cue the list of oversight for police, yes. and yet you are hearing on a daily basis in the streets thousands of people saying that's just not enough. How do you respond to that? It, it, we, we have we have the oversight that's there. It's the it's and let's take let's talk to Miami Dade County. I think we have a great our police are doing some great work out there. And there is across the country there's a bigger issue that needs to be addressed. But here in Miami Dade County we have already oversight. And so I don't know if an independent review is the right forum for it, but I do believe that we should keep the communication going and talking to one another. The Miami-Dade Police Department, part of its trainees before they even go to the road, they bring in outside community leaders to come and speak to the cadets. And I think that's why you saw this last couple of weeks that in Miami-Dade we didn't have the civil unrest that we saw across the country. Well, I, I have to say from my long experience, and Glenn has been a reporter here for many years as well, the Miami-Dade Police Department, I think, has made a good faith effort to listen to the complaints of citizens who feel they've been mistreated. But, you know, uh, Stedman, the, the bottom line is there's just not confidence. And we hear thousands of people in the streets saying that department, all police departments are incapable of policing themselves, holding their people who act in a bad way to penalize them, hold them responsible. What do you say? Well, I say that let's look at City of Miami that has both a IRP, an independent review panel, and a CRB, and we saw seven police cars get burned down. And I didn't see any of those groups out there standing on the steps of the police station trying to prevent that and get out there that's working with the community. Uh, here we, we've, the Miami-Dade Police Department, we've reached out to the community. We bring them in to be part of it. Our officers go into those communities. We single out houses, we refurbish them, we, we work with other community uh, groups to, to help out and, and to work with them. And so the independent review, if, if, if I'm seeing a success anywhere, I think that the Miami-Dade County should be a model for the rest of the country. There should be maybe standardized training across the country 
So it's being taught here in Miami. It's being taught there in California. And that might be a a solution to a lot of the problems. But I do believe that we need to listen to the community, bring them in there. Like the young lady that you had on there earlier, there should be some dialogue. Bring them in, let's talk to them, and let's work with them. But an independent review board, who, what's going to be their criteria? Can you be a convicted felon? Can you, uh, will you at least understand what the officer goes through, what they see, how they're seeing the world through their eyes? Our officers are out there doing great things in very difficult times. You know, they didn't uh, want to be I, out there throwing the slash protest. They didn't want to be out They wanted to be home with their families. Can, but they can, were I, out just, there can I just speak to, to your point? And I, I want to amplify that in no way would we ever paint a broad brush and say police are bad and we see many majority of instances where police officers across South Florida are doing the right thing. And I just wanted to get that on the record. But when you. You, when you see, and this is not your jurisdiction, but we've been watching this video of this Fort Lauderdale officer. Again, we, we've seen one video. We don't have a, a whole picture. But boy, watching a police officer shove a woman sitting and protesting sort of makes everyone blanch. When you see that as someone who defends officers, how do you address something that we see and then go back and listen to a chief saying, you know, I, I can only do so much until this investigation's over, my hands are tied. Address that if you would. Okay, well, let, let's look at that. that. And that's a good That's a good example of it. There needs to be a process and let's look at it. Let's look, was it, was it because the young lady was black or was there a frustration level out there? When you're out there and you got people throwing rocks at you, spitting at you, calling you names and there's a frustration level but, nobody but Stedman, jump, no, Stedman, excuse me Stedman, excuse me police are trained to deal with these situations i mean goodness they're human beings they're subject to emotions not saying they're not but you know for the most i mean look at the miami police department when people were really trying to get into the sally port last saturday night and police stood there they withstood Uh, bottles, uh, uh, water bottles thrown at them, taunts and everything. They didn't break ranks. They didn't break any heads. But, you know, this police officer that Glenna mentioned, you know, there's no reason for him to have shoved that woman. I'm not condoning what he did, what led up to it. And that's what what the investigation will come out with. If it, again, we're seeing one segment of what led up to it, what what made him come out of that parking lot. I don't want to answer that. I don't represent that department. But I, but I, I had the same concerns that everybody has it. But would an independent review board would that have fixed that problem? Would a CRP? And I'm not. We're not against that because I think that there's somewhere that we're trying to get to. I just don't think it's the right forum here in Miami-Dade County because it's working right here. We have a good relationship with our communities, and I think that every one of our politicians that speak, that's what they come out. The first thing they say that we are very happy with the Miami-Dade Police Department. We should be the role models for the for the rest of the country. And so what are we doing right here? How can we help other agencies and other departments to do that? I'm, we're not condoning anything that we saw in in, uh, in Minneapolis. You know, that was terrible. But but there is a process. And so if, if it's better training, better, I, I don't know what their, what their training is and how they deal with it to their community, but that's where we're at. Stedman Stahl, president of the PBA. Great to have you with us today. Thank Thanks, you for Stedman. having me. Thanks so much. All right, up next, we are going to speak with a leading voice in the debate over the death of George Floyd. State Representative Chevron Jones is our next guest. Stay tuned.
Welcome back. Our producer has just told us that Shane Calvey, who is the president of the Fraternal Order of Police in Fort Lauderdale, is upset with some things he's heard said on our program today. We invited Mr. Calvey to appear. He apparently did not choose to. But Mr. Calvey, if you're watching, shoot us an email and we will read it uh, before the program is over. We welcome your point of view. All right, the nationwide movement that was sparked by the death of George Floyd raises so many questions, and the big one is, what comes next? Lawmakers at every level are in positions to legislate changes that end decades of implicit bias. Will they? Florida State Representative Chevron Jones has orchestrated conversations about just that this week, and he joins us live from West Park. Good morning, Chevron Jones. Good yeah. morning. Yeah, good afternoon, I should say. Um, <laughs> let, let's, let's talk about that that bill that uh, you filed with State Senator Jason Pizzo just a few years ago on implicit bias training uh, went nowhere then, and you are bringing it back now. Tell us a little bit about that. I appreciate it. Good afternoon, Glenda and Michael. Myself and Senator Pizzo, we thought it was important uh, to file the implicit bias uh, training bill. Uh, and it was asking for implicit bias training for uh, for teachers. It was asking for implicit bias training for judges uh, and police officers. We thought it was important because we all have a bias. But individuals within those very important areas that's dealing directly with people, it's important that not only do you recognize your bias, but you also learn the differences uh, that, that, that arise when you're in these particular areas. And we thought it was important. It went nowhere, um, but it's still an important issue that still needs to be addressed. Can I just follow up on that a little bit? Im implicit bias sounds like a kind of a buzzword. It actually makes me think about a book by Malcolm Gladwell a couple of years ago <laughs> called Blink. And no, nobody, almost nobody will say, I'm biased, I'm racist. There, there is no right and wrong to racism, period. Mm -hmm. So right. implicit bias for people who aren't familiar is is something that is subconscious. It's not even a conscious thing. So how do you how do you get around what might be subconscious? How does that work practically speaking? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and let us be clear that even when you're dealing with implicit bias, you know, you, you're, it's one, you're recognizing your bias, but it's also ensuring, especially maybe as a policymaker, um, that you, as a white policymaker, that might be making laws, your implicit bias training would... Implicit bias training would call out, call out those various things, and that you know to recognize that there are other individuals within the African American community, within the Hispanic community, uh, and it calls out your bias that you recognize, uh, recognize those things. It's not saying that uh, I go through this training and this removes uh, racism or this removes anything. It makes you recognize. Does it change everything? It will not, but it does put you on notice. Yeah. Chevron, let me uh, quote another title from another Malcolm Gladwell book that uh, I think a lot of us read, and it was The Tipping Point. And I think we reached tipping points in this country in race relations with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act. Um, are we at that kind of a moment now? Is that what we are seeing, a tipping point that is demanding an, an end to systemic racism? Uh, absolutely. I, I, we've been at a tipping point. I think we're now at a point to where uh, people here in South Florida and across the country are frustrated. They're angry. They're exhausted from being told by institutions, by extremists, and even by the occupant in the White House that our lives do not matter and that they are not valued. And for years, we have uh, we have demanded racial justice. Um, and now we're at a point now to where people are saying enough is enough. And I want people to realize it's not just African-Americans. 
African-Americans who are saying enough is enough. It's our white brothers and sisters who are saying it is, it's time that we make sure that we show equity and equality to our black community. And it's important. Representative, um, I will tell you there was such a diverse crowd, it is a diverse crowd, every protest that we see, and the common denominator by and large is that everybody is pretty young, some of the youngest voters. And I will tell you, I've been out at the protest talking to a lot of people, I see the passion, I, I see the effort out there. I found so many people who fully admitted they're not even registered to vote yet. What do you make mm -hmm. of that? Well, that is very interesting, and I think we should be very clear uh, on one thing, and that is, yes, voting is extremely important, uh, and we should be encouraging individuals to go back and vote. Uh, and I think we also look at those individuals who are out there protesting, who are young people, but we also need to make sure that we make it clear that the people who are out there all do not look like myself. They they are they they are white, they are Hispanic, uh, because they understand that this is this is something that's necessary. And to the defense of a lot of individuals. Individuals who come out to the protest, there are people who are out there registering individuals to vote. But I don't want us to divert the conversation fully and say, all right, well, it's protesting, but these individuals are also not registered to vote. I think it's important that we say that, listen, these individuals are out here, they're they're raising their voices, and now we can encourage them to raise their voices even more with the voting process. Because truth be told, uh, there are individuals who've been protesting and voting, and things still haven't changed, and, still, and things are still the same as they've been for years. Yeah, I just want I wanted to clarify, we're on the same page, and the point being that the people, people in power who make the rules, a vote changes that component. Well, and a vote does a state, uh, change that component, but even if we're looking at somewhere like in the state of Florida right now, to where we have a legislative body that's one side of one political party um, that create these laws, that's why so many of us within within the Democratic Party that we fight so hard, you know, for for these laws and making sure that even the Republicans understand that we all have to go back and represent the people who we represent, and all if we have a seat at the table. Don't invite me to the table. And, I, and tell me to shut up while I'm at the table, invite me to the table to make sure that I have a input so I can go back and make sure my people within my district know that I've represented them well. Uh, and, and that's where it needs to happen because having a seat at the table and being quiet does nothing. Uh, Chef, let me ask you to simply comment on something that I see implicitly in some of the reports and some of the sound we hear from the street protest. There are some people who think that the people who are on the streets are all a bunch of Democrats who are anti-Trumpers. What is your experience? Well, it, it, it's it's total it's total opposite, and I and I and I beg to differ because even last week uh, there was a uh, a young lady that was out there who was actually a Republican, and people went out to embrace her. And it's it, it's baffling to me to where individuals are trying to give the benchmark for the right way to protest. Uh, when Colin Kaepernick knelt against police brutality, people said it wasn't the right way to protest. When MLK marched in Selma, they said that this isn't the right way to protest. When people marched in the streets of the South Africa during the apartheid, they said that that's not the right way to protest. And this is not a Democrat or Republican issue when we're talking about protesting because people are marching because of that very reason. And we have to make it extremely clear uh, to individuals, this is not no liberal-leaning um, uh, conversation we should be having. Um, the Republicans are the ones who have made this an issue of politics when always when we're dealing with racism, there has always been about people because if they go back to the 1960s, there were Republicans that were out there walking and marching also because they knew it was the right thing to do.
So it's not a Democrat Republican issue. Not politics. It's all about racism. Chevron Jones, great to see you. Thanks for being with us today. Thank we you for having me. appreciate it. Thanks, Chef. All right, so to come, a police chief in South Florida who has been reaching out to protesters, meeting with them, and starting a dialogue. He's next, Coral Gables Chief Ed Hudak. Stay tuned. A few minutes ago, we asked Shane Calvey, who is the president of the FOP in Fort Lauderdale, to send us an email. Well, he did, and we thank him for that. Uh, in it, he takes exception to what uh, Reuben Roberts of the NAACP had said earlier on this program. Uh, Mr. Calvey says Mr. Roberts took my words out of context. Mr. Roberts had said Calvey had supported the police officer whom we saw in the video uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Mr. Calvey says the FOP stands in support of the internal affairs process to get to the truth and not the rush to judgment like those who have seen various videos. Our officer is entitled to due process. Indeed, he is. Mr. Calvey, thanks for being in touch with us. All right, among the protests organized this week, one that received both support and skepticism because it was organized in part by the police. Some even questioned the intent and the legitimacy of that gathering in predominantly white Coral Gables. And those suspicions, in fact, went away with unity and with prayer. Joining us live now is Coral Gables Police Chief Ed Hudak, a leader in the Miami-Dade Chiefs of Police, and he hosted a dialogue Friday with the leaders of Protest Miami. Chief, great to see you. Uh, glad you could be with us today. Hey, Chief. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Glenn, and good to see you all. You know, let's, let's start there. When you, you were organizing this heartfelt, passionate uh, gathering for a lot of people uh, and were questioned about that, how, how did you take that and how did you respond? Well, first of all, I think with a lot of the information that's going out on so many issues, it was disinformation. The police department did not organize. The, the protesters that approached us first, and the emails document it, uh, as is the process in the city of Coral Gables, because our mayor, elected officials, and administration embrace all forms of protest and dialogue within our city limits. Uh, in keeping with that direction from our commission, we had contact with the organizers and we explained to them my job and the job of our police department along with the fire department other municipalities that were here the state federal locals and our communications operators from top to bottom wanted to make sure that the protests were safe and if in fact they were peaceful i did contact my colleagues at the day chiefs to see if in fact it stayed peaceful would you meet with us that's how it went down it was not organized to be any kind of a show, but it was to listen to their uh, concerns. And we followed up with that as we promised on Friday. Yeah, in fact, I watched that virtual meeting on Friday afternoon with the two leaders of Protest Miami. And they seem to be, they're both PhD students at the University of Miami. They're serious, seem to me reasonable people. One of the things they asked for, as you acknowledge, is a consistent single use of force policy for police departments throughout Miami-Dade County. What about that? What, what, what are you, what's your response to that request? Well, I, I don't think that's an unreasonable request. I think what we have to do as the chiefs and my fellow chiefs is to put out exactly what our use of force policy is throughout our different departments. Look, racism and police brutality, and it has been said in Coral Gables uh, and other jurisdictions, 
it, it doesn't know any jurisdictional limits. It's police uh, as a whole. So I don't have a problem with putting out, as all of my uh, fellow departments have, uh, a public records of our, what our police use of force policies are. You know, that being said, I think, you know, overall and, and the conversation about uh, what has gone throughout the country, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said 99.9% of police officers are good. Okay, sooner or later, we are going to have to trust in those 99% of apolitical police officers and chiefs to look at that 1% or 0.1% and weed them out, which I believe that information, once it's put out to everyone, we will see that Miami-Dade County in general leads the way on how to work with our communities and address our officers. So let's talk about that 1%, because as we've been talking about for the better part of the last hour, there is concern that even with a lot of oversight and internal affairs, uh, outside agencies investigating, that, that a, an officer who does not do the right thing or who does some sort of action, abuse of force action, is protected so well that hands are tied to levy consequences. And I want to get your uh, perspective firsthand as a chief of police. Right. The Florida Bill of Rights that that affords police officers these rights and in investigations and union contracts. Do you, have you ever felt like your hands were tied not being able to levy the consequences needed? No, quite, quite the contrary. Uh, as everyone that has talked about this, they, they want us to be held accountable. And I say us as a police um, state, if you will, for everything. What a union contract does is it holds me accountable as an administrator to make sure that I do things correctly when disciplining those officers. Uh, whether the state, you know, and our state attorney does a good job of reviewing all of these, regardless of what they can prove, I have and, and the rest of my colleagues have a different level of what we can. To everybody's statement that they can get other jobs, in the state of Florida, you have to literally have a license to be a law enforcement officer. It's sent from the state, and every police chief or designee has to sign an affidavit as to why someone was terminated. And in fact, it's not a question of whether we are, as a department, letting people go for ill acts. It's other departments, and I think this is what we have to look at at the state, to make sure that they are not hiring somebody because bad people will do bad things to try and get this authority that police officers have. And it's our job as administrators to make sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands, because we're the only ones in the United States of America that have the ability to take somebody's constitutional rights away because of the oath that we took. No, one, no other entity has that. So we are held to a higher standard, and I think that 99% of officers want to make sure that we deal with and don't let in that 0.1 or 1% that are plaguing the, the, the areas that we've talked about with brutality. Chief Ed Hudak, great to see you. Say hello to your lovely wife, Alina, an old Thank friend you. of ours. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Chief. Day two. Thank you all very much. We'll be right back. This has been one of the most tumultuous weeks in our community and our country that I can remember. I haven't seen anything like it since the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Those civil rights marches, protests changed our country for the better. Let's hope the protests we're witnessing now do the same. They are not going to stop. 
Remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. We will be back out in the streets with the protesters today. We invite you to stay tuned to Local 10 all day long. And of course, we are always online 24-7 at local10.com. Have a beautiful Sunday.